everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Ian Rowe, also a resident fellow at AEI. And joining us today, we have one of our colleagues. We're so excited to have Nat Malkus with us. He is a resident scholar at AEI and also the Deputy Director of Education Policy. And he specializes in empirical research on K-12 schooling. Hey, Nat, it's so great for you to join us. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so last week, you know, once again, the United States released the data from the National Assessment for Educational Progress, which most folks refer to as the nation's report card. And once again, it showed that we've got some pretty dismal results across the country. I think for 12th graders, only 24% of all 12th graders in the country are doing math at proficiency levels, which is just stunning. And also what's interesting when this data comes out, there's, as opposed to just focusing on the macro challenges that we face as a country, people hone in on the even more poor performance of minority students, particularly black and brown students and their initiatives across the country, most notably something recently in San Diego, where they're in efforts to address gaps in performance between black and white students in an effort to become, I think, an anti-racist school district. The San Diego school system has decided to adopt certain practices. And I think one of the examples that they think that they no longer have to require kids to deliver their homework on time. Have you heard about this? Like, what, what do you think about these changes that on the surface seem to be saying that this is how we're going to improve performance for kids? But what it really seems to be doing is lowering expectations of those very same children. Yeah, I have heard about the San Diego Unified School Board's move, and it's certainly worth sort of evaluating what they're trying to do. I mean, a lot of the things that they're trying to get at is... How does our grading system contribute to these gaps that we're seeing between outcomes of students, particularly in terms of the grades they're getting? And I think they cited substantially different percentages of students by race that are receiving Ds and Fs from the schools. So these are the grades coming out of the schools as opposed to, you know, test scores. I think most of the moves that they were making are trying to make sure that kids who do some of the formative work, some of the early work in the semester. Let's say they miss a bunch of homework assignments, they screw around for late January and February, and then they're coming up on their third quarter, and they make a lot of progress in the late part of the semester. They're trying to change the grading system. So it's not an average of their performance across this whole time, but just how much do they know at the end of the semester? In other words, if we have this standard and eventually they get there, Let's not penalize them for poor performance early on. And they label this under an anti-racist effort. That's the effort they're going for. And I'm just not sure that they're actually hitting the nature of the problem on its face. But aren't both things important that, of course, we want everyone to demonstrate what one might call mastery at the end of the year. That doesn't seem to be unreasonable that there should be some demonstration of whether or not you've learned the content. But if the rules of the game is that over the course of the year, you're supposed to deliver certain content on time, that's life. Isn't that part of the deal? Is Why are the two things mutually exclusive? Yeah, I don't think they are mutually exclusive. I mean, I think that the school board is making a bet here, right? You can think about it like a simple sort of black box analogy, right? At the start of school, we bring a bunch of kids of different races 
they have advantages and disadvantages, and some of those are aligned with along racial lines. And we put them into this black box of schooling. We're not exactly sure how race is mediated in that, but the outputs from that, and some of those are grades, you know, show major differences. So what's the school board's bet? The school board's bet is that this grading system is actually part of that black box that's contributing to black students getting more Fs and white students getting fewer Fs. And that's worth a look, but they've decided to make this change. And I think to evaluate it, the question you have to ask yourself is, what's the likelihood that it's the grading system that we can attribute these racial differences to? So it seems like the system they're putting in place, like, you know, imagine you're kind of a college freshman who decides they're going to wait until the end of the semester to do all the work for the papers and the studying. And for some kids, that totally works. You know, they can slack off for the first, you know, 11 weeks of the semester and suddenly decide to get their act together and do it. It's not a great strategy. And I think most professors would say, don't count on this because if you haven't been understanding what's been going on all this time, the likelihood that you're going to be able to catch up at the end is pretty small. And then the question is, shouldn't we be training kids, particularly at a younger level, to be doing that work along the way, to be turning in their homework so we can be making these checks to make sure that they understand it, rather than saying, okay, everybody learns at their own pace. And if you just want to do all the mastery work at the end of the year, you know, we'll give you credit for that too. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. They're basically saying the formative work, the work that you do along the way, shouldn't drag down your summative score if it's high. And I get that. And I was a teacher and I had some students who they could mess around and shine at the end. The question is, is how good of a bet is that for fixing sort of this black box problem that we've got? And your argument rings very true, right? Maybe those formative steps that serve as the stepping stones towards achievement, right? We lay out these these habits and these work products that if you take each individual step, you're much more likely to succeed at the end of the day. And this could be on anything from a class grade to a corpus of work in high school to get to graduation to your college education to working in a job. If those formative steps matter for most of the kids, then the idea of discounting them more could be counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's interesting about this, like you're describing it as a black box. So I think the number of black students that were getting D's and S, I think, was about 23%. I think that order of magnitude. And so the question that then gets pursued is, why is it 23%? And maybe it's the grading system. It's a guess. And so we're going to tinker with that. As opposed to saying, okay, so if there are 23% that are getting D's and F's, why is that happening? Why don't we ask the flip question of that means that there's 77% of black kids that are not getting D's and F's that evidently are succeeding, at least on one level. So what explains their success? Why does it always seem we start with the premise of what's wrong based on race? And we have to study the failure and try to guess at why that's happening, as opposed to studying the success. Because if race were an issue, then 77% of the kids would not be getting Ds and Fs. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I, I think that there's also sort of more layers to look at here, right? So you can look at San Diego's failing grade distribution and you say, wow, it looks like more black and brown kids are getting more Fs and that's a problem. 
If you then decide to go to the grading system, which produces the grades, right? This is the mechanism by which we measure whether they got a D or an F. And we're going to change that. So ostensibly they get less Ds and Fs. Okay, but how might we explain the fact that when 57% of San Diego Unified students are proficient in ELA on the state exam, and just less than half of them are in math, and those numbers are 20 points down or more for black and brown students on that state test, are we then gonna just say, well, it's also the test. The test is racist, the grading scale is racist, so let's get rid of them. You can go to another one, right? If, if you look at the San Diego County data from NAEP, you're gonna find a similar pattern. In fact, in NAEP, I mean, these are sort of data data, but I, I think 2013 is the latest data I took a look before we got on. In fourth and eighth grade, there were gaps for Black and Hispanic students of, you know, 30 to 40 points. And that may not mean too much to you, but it's a full standard deviation. It's huge. So are we going to fix this by changing the grading system? I mean, I just think we've kind of got the cart before the horse in terms of whether we're fixing the problem or we're addressing how we're measuring it. Well, and the the grading systems are also a key signal for parents. You know, we in think tank world look at NAEP scores and, you know, maybe the parents will get these test scores once every few years. But if you want to get a sense to the parents that their child is not doing well in school, that's why we have these grading systems. And to save this all for the end, as opposed to, you know, alerting the parent that this child is not, you know, turning in the homework. And as a result, their grades are suffering. I mean, that's what that's what tells parents something is wrong and that they need to be more involved. And I think, you know, by not doing that, that becomes a problem. But the other thing I, I noticed about the San Diego question was they also wanted to separate behavior from the academic grading system. So you would get a separate grade, I think it said for citizenship or something like that, you know, that wouldn't contribute to your academic record. And I was wondering what you thought about that, Nat. Yeah, I mean, when I was a teacher, there was always a question about whether I should fold in this knucklehead's behavior into his grades. I struggled with it. I was never satisfied with it. I was never satisfied with the answer that I came up with. But it was always a challenge, right? Because on the one hand, I want the kids to learn and I want some other measure to control them. Usually that sort of came down to my will and behavior as a teacher. But I think that the idea of just sidelining it, again, because we're seeing gaps and problems, just doesn't get to the heart of the problem. I think that it's important for us to hold high standards and to equip teachers both to hold kids to those standards and communicate to their parents how they're doing. It does seem like a blanket top-down board measure that prevents teachers from having some teeth on these things could easily be counterproductive. And, you know, when you think about this, again, I just want to point to the importance of evaluating whether this bet is likely to pay off. You know, you talked about the formative assessment as whether it's something that we want to drop or, you know, whether homework and turning things in on time. I mean, that all goes to this idea that one test score that measures what students know at the end of the day is what school is about. And I would posit that, you know, a lot of my friends who are teachers would say that's the third or fourth thing down on the list that we're trying to inculcate in in students. And making sure that that formative stuff works for students, you know, that teaches kids to survive in the world that they're going to be in, where showing up on time and being consistent and working over a long-term period to something is going to give them the payoff that gives them a rewarding life and a career 
and relationships with a spouse that might be productive, right? Like how you get there matters, not just that you get there. And I really think that that pushes us backwards in how we do schooling in a lot of ways and also probably isn't going to fix the racial achievement gaps that these grades point to. Well, and it also impacts the whole idea of self-perception. So you mentioned most of these changes that San Diego is making is under the rubric of becoming an anti-racist school system. And I saw an actual news report where they were interviewing, I think, one of the student body presidents, actually a white student, who maybe is like 12 or 13 years old. And he was so excited by these changes, particularly the one around submitting your homework on time was no longer a requirement. And basically what he was saying was that this is so good because essentially, I'm paraphrasing, that we can't expect this of black kids. And so this is a good thing. And you start to realize, well, wow, what is this message sending to black kids about their own ability? Like somehow submitting work on time is in order for the organization to be anti-racist. That means they're relieving me of the need to submit work on time. And they're relieving you of the responsibility of behaving in class too. Yeah, exactly. And the flip of this is, to look at how this white student was also sort of internalizing this message of black capability. And you start to see, like, is this where these low expectations come from? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly an implicit logic here, right? We have race gaps. We need to fix these small parts of the grading system, right? Like all these steps along the way, getting your homework on time, any sort of behavior sort of things, and that should fix this gap or at least go to some direction in closing it. I mean, first of all, that clearly has an implicit deficit mindset for black and brown students that they can't do this. Now, the other thing it does, is it really gives teachers short shrift. I know a bunch of teachers. I was a teacher. And I'm telling you, teachers are not out there trying to hold strict rules to make sure that some kids fail. Sure, there are some bad apples out there, but by and large, teachers are flexible on these things. And this just doesn't appear to be the root cause. And the idea that the school board has to guide teachers' actions to prevent them from being the actors that make these racial gaps flourish it just doesn't ring true to me. This reminded me of a story a number of years ago. I had a girl that I mentored through the Big Brothers Big Sisters program, and the family were immigrants. The mother came to me. She was very upset because I think her daughter was in sixth grade at the time and was getting all A's with maybe a couple of B's. And then she took a state standardized test and she failed. And the mother said to me, I don't understand. Why wouldn't somebody tell me that, you know, that this was going on, that she wasn't, you know, getting her classwork done or that she didn't understand the material before now. And, the, you know, the girl had to go to summer school as a whole thing. But I think anyone can sort of look at the test scores and the grades and say, why don't they match? Why would you be passing my child through here with higher grades when you know that they don't you know, understand the substance of what they need to to pass these tests? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, I've done a good bit of work on what's called credit recovery, and I don't want to go off too far on a side, but I think it makes sense to bring up here because it's another example like this. Credit recovery is when you fail a class in high school, you can go take the course online and abbreviate it sort of like quick makeup thing. In California, they do this a lot. I'm not sure about the numbers in San Diego, but certainly in LA, they've had a lot of troubles with this in large part because it's a shortcut. And while getting specific numbers are hard, 
it appears that minority and disadvantaged students participate in these programs at a much higher rate. So if these programs are lower quality, what do you expect from passing kids through these courses and getting them to graduation? You know, what is the end result? Well, I'm going to suggest that to the degree that we swell those options and sort of make this a well-trod path, especially for disadvantaged students to get to a high school graduation, what we're going to find is post-high school graduation, larger racial gaps in achievement. Because whatever that black box is that we're making it a watered down production function for disadvantaged students, it's going to leave them at the end of high school with less opportunity to compete in life. And if schooling is about preparing kids for lifelong outcomes, then watering things down in the interim is surely a route to failure. I mean, one strategy that people are putting forth is that they want to reinstate in California affirmative action policies that would grant preferences by race. But the proposition that was put forth to do that was just rejected. So how do you read that rejection against racial preferences, against those who are wanting to reimpose them to try and deal with some of the disparities that you're talking about? I think there's a couple of things to say here. One is is that that was a referendum in the state of California. So it's not Kentucky or a real red state that rejected the referendum on affirmative action. And also just to note that this is a place where Trump was soundly defeated on the same ballot that the affirmative action vote ran well ahead of Trump to be defeated, right? So this tells me that there's a large portion of the populace, even in relatively left-leaning California, that understands that racial preferences are probably not the most direct approach to fixing these root problems, and that their appetite for this family of solutions. And I would say that there's definitely a link here between the ideas of, well, we have a racist grading system and we need racial preferences in other areas. It seems that the appetite for that among the public is not as high as the folks that would advocate for you know, this school board position might like to think. And it may be that when we confront racial disparities, that the primary factor may not actually be race. Maybe there are other factors such as family structure and other ways in which we can look at this problem. I think one of the challenges we face is that every time we see a racial disparity, there are some that only look at that through a racial lens and narrow the set of solutions to be race-based. Well, it's not only race, Ian, but I'll add on top of that, that we have a school-based solution, right? I mean, the problem must be within the schools. The locus of the problem is in the schools because I see it in in grades. So the locus of the solution should be to change something in the schools. Mm. That is an awful heavy burden to put on a single institution when we see other disadvantages that are aligned to racial differences in all kinds of aspects. I mean, I just think it's a much bigger project than a grading system overhaul is likely to solve. And part of that certainly starts with what you said earlier, Ian, which is looking at the kids who succeeded and asking how did they succeed and what are the differences between the kids who succeeded and failed, not just looking at the failures and assuming that we know why that happened. Well, I think that's probably a great place for us to leave things today. Thank you so much, Nat, for joining us. You can hear episodes of Are You Kidding Me? on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. So with that, I am Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I am Ian Rowe. Thank you, Nat. You bet. Thanks for having me.